0: All right, book of Jeremiah, chapter 25. As we learned this morning, I'm not supposed to say it that way. I'm supposed to have some, something super important to say here, some kind of uh, hook to, to make you want to listen, but I don't have one because it's Jeremiah chapter 25. I do know this, when you um, start listening to lots of sermons on Jeremiah chapter 25, I think that one of the sermons I listened to today uh, started off this way, Jeremiah twenty-five, the words to our nation. Okay, um, I can assure you these are not the words to our nation. I can assure you these are not the words to the nation of the person that was speaking because I think he was American. So, but I don't care where they it, it doesn't unless he, unless he's, unless it's Israel, like it doesn't, and I I will never understand. I don't understand how people let preachers get away with that. I really don't. I, I don't. But people just sit there and just listen to it and go, okay, yeah, it's about our nation, but it has nothing to do with our nation. So, I mean, you if you've been following along on the book of Jeremiah, we know the entire book has been about whom? Judah. I mean, that's the primary focus, right? Israel's been mentioned, but primarily it's towards Judah. I mean, we know that. So when we come to chapter 25. Now, according to one source, and I was not able to verify this, they they claim that chapter 25 comes about a decade after chapter 24 in the time frame. Okay? Yeah, that's that's their claim. Um, I don't know how what they I'm assuming they based it off something there. They didn't go into any detail. Um but we do know the one thing we need, we just we remind ourselves is that the chapters in many cases are wide. Not in any particular order. They're kind of we don't know what in the world is going on sometimes. The only the only time I mean, if we come across something like that, that's like, causes a major problem for interpreting the book, then we should care, right? Outside of that, you're just, you're just chasing, trying to put it all together, and maybe it's helpful, but in some cases, you just may spend more time chasing a time frame than you're actually doing yourself any good, if that makes sense. But we're in chapter 25, so, well, it gives a time frame, but I'm just saying, trying to figure out where that time frame fits with the chapter before and the chapter before and the chapter after that, and then putting all the chapters in some kind of order. Um, I'm not saying it's not helpful, but I'm saying you can do a lot of chasing that, and you're so busy chasing that that you actually miss what? what it's actually saying. So we, we have a lot to try to figure out. So let's, let's jump in. We'll go to, to the book of Jeremiah. I, could, I, I had all kinds of different ways I wanted to approach this. But the goal is to try to get through uh, 25. I'm just going to start reading a little bit. I will do this. I will do this uh, so that we can at least have an idea. One commentary starts off this way. You ready? Here we go. Pay, Pay attention. Here we go. In these chapters, we see the prophet involved in four different ministry experiences as they served the Lord and sought to bring the kingdom of Judah back to God. So as looking from 25 and moving forward, they say there's four different ministry experiences. I don't know what they mean by that. So I'm not, I don't know if that's very helpful. But you know what they're trying to do here? They're trying to give you, the reader or the listener, a hook, right? Hey, so we're going to look at what Jeremiah did here in his ministry experiences and see how his experience coincide with our experience, right? So that, I mean... I. But sometimes you just formulate a hook just to formulate a hook. So I'm I'm just going to disregard that. Then they go on to say this. Jeremiah had been serving for 23 years when he delivered the message recorded in chapter 25 and 26. Now they tell us to look at two places. Look at 25.3. From the thirteenth year of Josiah, the son of Amon, king of Judah, even unto this day, that is the three-and-twentieth year, the word of the Lord hath come unto me, and I have spoken unto you, rising early and speaking, but you have not hearkened. Does everybody see that? Josiah, me, you, speaking, Does everybody see that? 31 years. Yeah, that's... that. Okay. All right. It says from the 13th year of Josiah, the son of Amon king Jeth, even unto this day, that is 3 and 20th year, the the that is the 3 and 20th year, the word of the Lord hath come unto me and have spoken unto you rising early and speaking, but you have not hearkened. Okay. So what what what's the possible issue here? I want to make sure we're on the same page. Okay, wait, what? Okay, I want to make sure we're, what's happening here. <laughs> what's happening? Are we having a problem here? Yeah. No. So it's 30 the 36, so into the fifth year of the next king, is that what we're saying? Yeah, because it's already 18 years, so. right? it what I get 13 and 23, 36 30. years. Okay. Okay, where, where they are saying Jeremiah had been serving for 23 years when he delivered this message? They also say, see, 26.1, I don't know if it's going to be of any more help. In the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, came the word from the Lord, saying, But according to this commentary... All right, so are we having a problem with what this commentary is saying? We don't know, all right? Well, according to this, Jeremiah had been serving for 23 years when he delivered the message recorded in chapter 25 and 26. To out why they years, where years? Okay, all right. so you're trying to figure out, all right, you're trying to figure out, so if, if, Josiah reigned 31 years. Okay. Okay, where does this put us at this point, time? Okay, that's what you were trying to figure out. Okay, I was, I was just trying to go, okay, where's everybody going here? Okay, all right. So wherever it ends us, the main thing they want us to see is that he has been serving for, for 23 years. That's the main thing they want us to see. And they put that together by looking at 25.3 and 26.1. Right. Does everybody see that? Because 26.1 says, In the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, came the word from the Lord saying. Alright? Everybody got that? So obviously Jehoiakim is reigning now at this point, right in 26.1. Okay. What year does Jehoiakim start reigning? We can look at that up in the Bible dictionary if you want. Everybody can grab a Bible dictionary real quick. 609 B.C.? And Josiah started reigning when? All right, to six hundred nine. So this, they're saying this is right at the beginning of, or twenty six one, just in the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim. So yeah, does that get how do they get the twenty three? Where does the twenty three put us? I understand. I understand that there may be some numbers there where we can all try to figure out. But like I, what, once again, what I was trying to demonstrate is you can pursue these numbers and it can lead you just to, uh, we could spend an hour trying to figure out the numbers, right? So the main thing is we can say this. Let's do this. So therefore, there's no problem or controversy. Jeremiah has been preaching for a long time, okay? <laughs> right, Right? For a long time, right? Uh, can we say at least... 20 years? Are we okay with that? At least 18 years? He's been he's been doing for a long time, right? Okay, we're okay with the 23 years. Just where does that put us at this point? Gotcha. Okay, understood. Right, well, we know in 26, Jehoiakim is there. So we at least know that, all right? He was called, now this is their numbering, so if this is a problem, just, just be, be calm. All right, here we go. He was called into prophetic service in the year 626 B.C. Okay, all right. So, a a year difference, all right. And continued to minister after the fall of Jerusalem, which they date at 587 B.C. All right, meaning a period for over 40 years. So, they say he ministered for a period of over 40 years. Okay, okay. He was. They say he's now at the midpoint of his career. When you consider the unsympathetic response of the people, both to him and to his message, you may marvel that Jeremiah wasn't discouraged and ready to quit, but he continued to be faithful. Well, I think we have seen some discouragement, so I don't know if that's a fair and accurate representation. He has been discouraged. And he wanted to quit. Right? So... Once again, I don't know if that's a fair and accurate representation, but I do know this. He's been ministering for a long time. And all, the only reason I want us to know that and see that is he's been ministering for a long time. And you could argue that in his preaching, it has become painfully repetitious, right? Can you agree? He's been basically saying the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over. And the response to it has been, the same over and over and over and over and over and over and over. So at some point, it would seem like he has failed miserably. All right, so just keep that basic concept in mind. I don't want to go too much into it right now, but we will. Now, here is what this commentary does, all right? So everybody's got 25 open, right? Okay, 25 is how many verses? 38, right? Okay, they're pretty close. It's open book. Everybody can look. How many? Okay. (laughs) How many verses? 38. Okay, all right, good. All right. So, all right, so here we go. Here we go. Now, according to this commentary, this is how they break the chapter up. They believe in this chapter, Jeremiah delivers two messages. Message number one goes from chapter one, or chapter one, chapter 25, verse one to verse 14. How's everybody feel about that? Okay, <laughs> it lines up with the notes in your Bible, okay, that's, that's not what I want to, see. no, okay, all right. all right, all right, now my Bible doesn't have any uh, notes here, no, no, I, I try to use this one as much as possible, and then the ones with notes I have laying here, okay, all right, so, we do know this, 25.1, we have, well, no, we have the very beginning, the word that came to Jeremiah, okay, remember that's how his messages usually begin, remember that's one of the ways we've tried to establish that, all right, now what happens in verse 14? Okay, well, does, does someone see something not, what, what do we see, in, do we see something in 14? Okay, Okay. well, I'm asking about 14 first, right? I'm asking about 14. Do you see the phrase that would seem to spark a new sermon yet in verse 14? No, no. okay. What do you have in 15? For thus saith the Lord God of Israel unto me. This seems to be a something possibly new. So, therefore, there seems to be two messages. That's the basic concept. Now, according to this source... The two messages can be broken down like this. Message number one is to the Jews or to Israel or to Judah, depending on how you want to classify them. And the second message is to the Gentiles. Okay, right? The other nations, right? Do you see that? Does everyone feel that that's somewhat a fair and accurate representation and breakdown of the chapter? Okay, We, we feel pretty good about that. All right, so up to this point, Jeremiah's been ministering for a long time and now he's got two messages. One goes directly to the Jews, primarily to Judah, and the other one to the Gentiles. So far, so good? All right, now, Let's see if we can get through all of this. That took a little bit longer than I wanted, but let's see if we can get through this. Here we go. Trying to figure out which parts to cover and which parts not, where, where to really drive a point home is hard because we want to, I definitely want to finish the entire chapter if possible, but here we go. We got a, oh, there's, there's so many issues we can focus on, but I'm going to try not to, right? Some of this is going to be maddening to me, but here we go. 25.1. The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the Fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. That was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. All right? Now, there is some debates that this doesn't match up possibly with Daniel. Uh, you get into the dates, I'm telling you, you'll drive yourself insane trying to figure, figure it all out. But we know that at this point, Jeremiah has been ministering, right? And now the word comes to him, and what year is it? It's the fourth year of... Jehoiakim, right? The son of Josiah, king of Judah. That was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, right? So that kind of tells us a little bit where we are, right? Does that gives us a little bit more information? Okay, all right. The which Jeremiah the prophet spake unto all the people of Judah and to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying. So he went to preach this to all the people of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And what does he say in verse 3? From the thirteenth year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, even unto this day, that is the three and twentieth year, the word of the Lord hath come unto me, and I have spoken unto you, rising early and speaking, but you have not hearkened. All right, so he comes to them, and his primary message here, so at, at this point, is simply, I have been delivering to you day in and day out, And you have not listened. Okay? I think think that's pretty straightforward. That's pretty good. Next verse. All right, here we go. Mm -hmm. Okay, this is where I have to ah, take some deep breaths. Okay? I need some blood pressure medication here. Maybe a strong drink. And the Lord hath sent unto you All his servants, the prophets, rising early and sending them, but you have not hearkened nor inclined your ear to hear. Now, any decent reader should set their Bible down at this point and probably say, I got to go for a long walk. I got to go for a long walk. Does nobody else see the problem here? Go, wait. In chapter 23, don't listen to the prophets because they're all messed up. They're not They're telling you. And now he's like, hey, guys, you didn't listen to the prophets. Well, think we like the last couple of chapters, the end of the ministry. This is right. Right, toward the middle. right. But I'm saying, whenever it is. You got to see from just think about living at this time. Well, wait a minute. So I'm supposed to listen to the prophets, but don't listen to these prophets. Well, how do you know which prophets to listen to? Do you have Do you have an app that goes ding true prophet, ding false prophet, ding? Like how do you do? Do the people have a script the scriptures? No, they they know certain things. Yes, and we do agree that to a certain level. That the, and obviously that people bear some responsibility here. I'm not going to say that people don't, right? Obviously they bear some responsibility. You would think if the prophets are saying, kill your children, that's a pretty good idea that maybe you don't listen, right? But there's other things that they may not understand because what is the whole, in this time period, what is the whole concept about the prophet? That they do what? Speak for God. Speak for God. So if a prophet is saying, this is what God is saying, they don't have some deep theological understanding. Well, wait a minute. That revelation can't be changed by this revelation. They, I mean, they don't understand any of that. Like, like you know what I'm saying? Like, how are they even going to know that, right? If, if the prophet is supposed to speak to me on behalf of God, then who do I listen to? And so on one hand, in chapter 23, it's like, hey, don't. Now I understand the chapters are not in order. I understand all of that. I'm just saying, anyone reading the Bible, I know we always want to answer it, and we always want to somehow explain it away. I'm just saying, a normal person reading this, when you read 23, you have that very brief interruption in 24 about figs, and then the next thing you know, you're in 25, and then all of a sudden, what happens? Why didn't you listen to the prophets? Anyone just reading it from a normal, like you would read a book, you would stop and go. Right now, I understand. Another, that's another years. Yeah, I understand the time. I understand the timing. This time, just right. Out of uh, right. So, the may be so you're OK. So you're arguing because it's not in order. Right. right that maybe 23. The. Was was the period when the prophets were bad and this is when the prophets were good. No, I can't. Do, do you think that works? That twenty five is that twenty three is Okay. All right, okay. This is probably before the last Or before twenty three. Yeah, I think, they didn't say before 23, they said before 24. Remember, 24 is the figs, right? Okay, all right, so. Okay, right. Okay, so, so you're saying that, and so do we know the date for 23? Does 23 give us a date? Because maybe, maybe this would work. I don't think it does, does it? Right there's no I don't see a time in it. Does anybody? But even if we go with this concept, right? No matter how you flip it, you still come with the same difficulty, right? Because you like okay. If that works, at least that's somewhat helpful. Now, of course, reading it makes it very complicated. But let's say we go with that. I'm saying, yeah, twenty-two. They're going through all all the kings. That would be all those four. If that's the four kings, so that's all the way up to Zedekiah. So then Bobby would be right that this chapter would come before twenty-three. Okay, I, that, that's a that's a good that's at least a good solution. Right, but then guess what? So guess what? Would, if so, if we go back to twenty-three, or if we go back to twenty-five, if we go to twenty-five and we put this in some kind of chronological order it's still going to be a little bit confusing for the people, right? Because at one point he's saying, listen to the prophets. And then, however many years later, why are you listening to the prophets? <laughs> so no matter which way you go, you still are going to have the same conflict in a somewhat different way, right? Right, right. So... Then he was like, hey, don't listen to the prophets. But there was a time you should have been listening to the prophets. But I'm saying for the average person at this time, we have to acknowledge this would be maddening, right? This would be maddening. And we could argue the prophets have been condemned much earlier, have they not, in the book? Let's do this. Let's just do a little test. What's the first time the prophets are condemned in the book? You may look up the word prophet or prophets. Let's see how early on in the book they are condemned. Let's just see. That is good detective work in putting that chapter in a better uh, chronological order. So that's good. How quickly, how early on are they condemned? Let's just see. Yeah, just Church Jeremiah. Chapter 2, what is said about them? <laughs> okay, that's in Jeremiah chapter 2. What verse? Jeremiah 2, 8. The priest said, Not where is the Lord? And they that handle the law knew me not. The pastors also transgressed against me and the prophets prophesied by me all. all. three groups are mentioned there, right? You are two groups. You got the religious leaders and the civil leaders. All being corrupt. That's all as early as chapter 2. Does everybody see that? And where else are they talked about? Chapter 5, they're condemned. 531. Where else? Any more? Okay, there's like four. All right. So over and over and over and over, they've been condemned even before we get to 20. Five, All right. So even before they get to 25, they've been condemned over and over and over and over and over and over and over. So, in fact, you could think the most confusing part is that in 25, he seems to be saying something positive about prophets. Now, clearly, I know, I understand. He's not talking about those prophets. He's talking about different prophets. I understand that. But I'm saying from just reading it, If you read, if we were to take all of those verses and read them all together, what would be your general impression if we start in chapter 1 and go all the way to 24? What would be your general impression about what you should do as a a person living in Judah when it comes to the prophets? Don't listen. And then chapter 25, whenever it is stated, whether in the middle or not, because he's been saying it from the very beginning, all of a sudden in 25 he says what? And the Lord hath sent me unto His servants the prophets, and the Lord hath sent uh, unto you all His servants the prophets, rising early and sending them, but you have not hearkened or inclined your ear to hear. Everyone has to acknowledge that that if you've been reading the Book of Jeremiah up to this point, that has to make you stop, right? That's all I'm saying. I'm not look, I'm not trying to draw any conclusions other than that. I'm saying just anyone, if I'm just reading a normal novel right? And the novel has spent the entire time going, these are the bad people, these are the bad people, these are the bad people, and I'm now 300 you know, pages into the novel, and all of a sudden the novel's like, hey, why didn't you listen to those people? And you'd be like, you spent 300 pe- pages telling me those people are the bad people. Now they're the good people? Like, you know, is this in wrestling terminology? Did they have a face turn? Is this well? Like, what just happened here? I don't understand what just happened. Well, clear. I know. I know he's Mitch. Okay. I want to make sure everybody understands. I understand that he's talking about different prophets. I understand that. I'm saying when you read it, everyone should stop and go because for the people at that time, right? I know we always feel like we have to come to the defense of the scriptures. We don't have to defend them, okay? We have to just be, I'm just saying that if we read them, what's our thought should be is, wait a minute. Right, I'm saying, I mean, we could take the 30 minutes and we, you said how many verses, 42? We could go through 42 verses and I could show you my point, right? Every verse, almost every single one of them is going to be what? Negative, 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 negative. And then all of a sudden it's like, do what? Right. But I'm just saying from this point that we get here and all of a sudden, what do we find? You didn't listen. I'm just saying that any, this raises, because this is the ongoing philosophical problem in the book. I, I just want to make sure I stress this over and over and over. The philosophical problem in the book is one, why didn't God then just speak directly to whom? The people. Hey, listen, you can't trust anyone. Don't trust any of these people. Because half of them are good. Some of them have been, like, you just listen to me. But he doesn't do that. He speaks, well, I guess the only real person he's actually speaking to is whom? Jeremiah. But Jeremiah is saying that there have been prophets who were actually speaking the good thing. <laughs> but there's other prophets who clearly haven't. And the people would be like, I got crops to plant. I've got kids to raise. I got a building to build. I got, I got life to live. I don't know, like, how much time, what are they supposed to do? Right? They don't have reference tools. They don't have concordances. They don't have. They don't have anything. I'm just saying that that, at least for me, that verse jumped off the page, and I was like, "What is going on?" Okay, verse five. So, are we sure we good there? All right. All right I'll make sure now. Look what happens. They said, "Who is the they?" The prophets. Turn ye again now everyone from his evil way and from the evil of your doings and dwell in the land that the Lord hath given unto you, to you and your father forever and ever. Okay. That, that sounds good. That sounds like a good message, right? Now it sounds like the false prophets had at least borrowed some of this message, yes? Because they were like, we're going to stay in this land forever and ever because God has promised it to us. So they were preaching a part of this. What was the only thing the supposed false prophets weren't saying? Turn from your evil way. That's the, that's the, That seems to be the major difference, right? Verse 6, and go... Not after other gods to serve them and to worship them and to, and to provoke me not to anger with the works of your hands and I will do you no hurt. Now, once again, the false prophets seem to borrow part of this. What was the false prophets part did they borrow? I will do you no hurt. Right? What part did they leave out? the idolatry. I just want you to see false prophets always borrow there's some element of truth to the false teaching. False teaching always contains a, a, an element of truth or it would not be very dangerous, right? The fact is they could be like, well, see the prophets told us we're going to stay in the land forever. The prophet said that God's not going to hurt us. And you're like, well, those prophets left out a part of the message. Well, they're like, oh, okay, well, you, you you can put the you, you can you get you guys can fight over who should get the blame i 'm just saying it 's very frustrating that this is the way it goes down look at verse seven yet ye have not hearkened unto me, saith the Lord, that ye might prov- uh, provoke me to anger with the works of your hands to your own hurt, therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, because you have not heard my words, okay. So they're in trouble because they've not heard the words. Whose words did they not listen to? God's word, but the words from the prophet, which are supposedly God's words. But however, there's other prophets that are not God's word that you're not supposed to listen to. Again, it's just, that is such a a maddening situation, I I feel, for these people. At least it bothers me. It may not bother you, but it drives me absolutely crazy. All right? Here we go. Behold, verse 9. Everybody ready? Behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, saith the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land and against the inhabitants thereof and against all these nations round about and will utterly destroy them and make them an astonishment and a hissing and a perpetual and perpetual desolations. Now, in verse nine, what may be the most disturbing part of verse nine? Nebuchadnezzar, my servant. All right, so now I know this gets into the whole, I know this gets into a whole big philosophical issue, but, and I think, I think I got an email today for some from someone going, this book makes no sense. I'm like, I know the whole book of Jeremiah makes no sense. Okay, because they, I think they said something along the same line. Well, wait a minute. If God is like, hey, this Nebuchadnezzar is my servant and Nebuchadnezzar is doing exactly what God wants them to do. Why didn't he just get the good the other kings of Judah to do exactly what he wanted them to do and serve him, <laughs> right? Hey Nebuchadnezzar, this is what I want you to do, and Nebuchadnezzar does what he wants him to do. Well, then he could have just gotten Zedekiah, Jehoiakin, Jehoiachin. Jehoiachin. Well, yeah, I mean, he's promised that a million times, but he could have, he could have made them. If you can, if, you, if, if the pagan king is your servant, couldn't you have your people be your servant? Are always, right. So I'm just saying, like, like, I, I, I know that, again, I know when I bring these questions up, I know how uncomfortable it makes everyone, but we got to be willing to deal with it because any other person reading it is going to be like, this book makes no sense. Can't he just if he if he can use the pagan king as a servant? Just have the other kings be a servant and then you can avoid the whole mess. But it doesn't. But yeah, now how do we how does typically Christians come around and get around? Well, Nebuchadnezzar is his servant, but all God is doing is just allowing his depraved nature to run its natural course. God is not really doing anything. So, therefore, he can say, you're my servant, but God is not really, but God is directing it, but he's not, so, because they want to get, they've got to get God somewhat off the hook, right? Because if you put God too much on the hook, then what would be the obvious question? Well, instead of worrying about Nebuchadnezzar, worry about, yeah, Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin, Zedekiah, right? Does that make sense? Right, so, everyone tries their ways to get around it, and I know why we try to get around it, because it makes us what? Or at least, it doesn't make me uncomfortable. It seems to make Christians uncomfortable. I have no problem dealing, I have no problem struggling with it. It drives me crazy. My brain may leak out the side of my head, but I don't get a, I don't, I'm no like, I don't feel like I have to defend God. I don't feel like I have to defend Him. My thing is, I gotta just deal with the problems here. All right. So, Nebuchadnezzar is His servant. All right. Now what happens? Verse 10. Moreover, I will take from them, the verse, the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness and the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstones and the light of candle. And this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Now stop right here. Circle the word 70 years. All right. Now, First of all, the prediction that it's 70 years occurs in a number of places in the Bible, right? So one believed, most believe this is a pretty, an astonishment, an astounding fact that obviously Jeremiah could not have known exactly how long it was going to last. So the argument is obviously this is a proof of inspiration of scripture and that obviously Jeremiah was actually hearing from God because it it lasts for exactly 70 years. Now critics of the Bible, they do what? How do they get around this supposed dramatic prophecy? This was written after, right? That's remember that higher criticism, the whole argument about higher criticism, one of the major things they started doing was criticizing the dating of the writing. You change the dating of the writing, prophecy becomes what? It's not prophecy. Yeah, it's it's basically they're not they weren't predicting anything. Right? They were just they make look like they were predicting it, but they really weren't predicting it. Okay, we believe it is prophecy and it is amazing. But here's the question: Why seventy years? Yes, that seems to be where people go. I'm going to go with one source. This is from with the word. A number of sources say something similar to this, but since this is just put together very simple, we're going to see if we can uh, go through this. So why 70 years? Look at 2 Chronicles 36. Look at 2 Chronicles 36. Oh man, we're going to run out of time. No, no. No. Okay, I'm trying my best here. Second Chronicles 36, 20 through 21. What do you find when you look up that reference? Second Chronicles 36, 20 through 21. What do you find here? Okay. Now, did you, did you catch that part? I'm going to read it from a different translation here. Second uh, Chronicles, that's verse 36, right? Or chapter 36, verse 20, right? I'm going to read it from this translation. He deported those who escaped from the sword to Babylon and they became servants to him and his sons until the rise of the Persian kingdom. This fulfilled the word of the Lord through Jeremiah. And the land enjoyed its Sabbath rest all the days of the desolation until 70 years were fulfilled. This had a very specific purpose. This is how this commentary describes it. According to 2 Chronicles 36, 20-21, the Lord punished Judah for 70 years because that was the number of sabbatical years that they had not observed. The people did not rest on the weekly Sabbath. They say, see Jeremiah 17, 19 through 27. Someone look at it really quick and see if you uh, agree with that assessment or not. 17, 19 through 27. Jeremiah 17, 19 through 27. Do you see something here about them not keeping the Sabbath, breaking the Sabbath? Anything along those lines, any language like that? Jeremiah 17, 19 through 27. Okay, verse 27 says they didn't keep the Sabbath. Everybody see that? Right. They, they were breaking the Sabbath. Does everybody see that? Right. Good. Or, or feel comfortable with that? They did not give the land its rest every seven years, which you're supposed to do according to Leviticus, right? So guess what? Because they did not give the the rest, then 70 years is there to basically punish them because that was the number of sabbatical years that they had not observed. So, and to give the land the rest. In other words, you you didn't give the land the rest according to sabbatical years the way you were supposed to, so I'm going to do it for you all right so that adds a little bit more to to why in other words the 70 years doesn't appear just to be something random. does that make sense? all right good all right now back to Jeremiah 25 verse 12 and it shall come to pass when the 70 years are accomplished that I will punish the king of Babylon, <laughs> Oh man, does that does that not make you stop and go, What in the world? Does that not make you just does, does that I, I I sometimes I don't think I can read the Bible with Christians because I don't think Christians ever have the same reactions to scripture as I do. Does that not just make you go, what in the world? What what did he just refer to the king of Babylon on in a couple of verses prior? My servant. Now what is he going to do? And now he's gonna punish his servant. <laughs> right? I'm going to punish the king of Babylon and their nation, saith the Lord, for their iniquity and the land of the Chaldeans and will make it a perpetual desolation. Okay, now wait a minute, you're my servant doing what ultimately I want you to do, but now I'm going to punish you for doing what I want you to do. Now I understand philosophically we're like, well, all God did, he, he allowed Nebuchadnezzar's uh, depravity to run its course. God used that depravity. So in a sense, God is not to blame because he's using secondary causes. And I understand all of the working around it, but man alive, it's, it's confusing. What do we going to say? He, he does that with everybody basically, right? I mean, anytime he uses a nation, then he's like, okay, now I'm going to punish you, right? I will bring upon that land all the words which I have pronounced against it, even all that is written in this book, which Jeremiah hath prophesied against all the nations. Oh, now wait a minute. We just had a major shift, did we not? What happened at the end of verse 13? Uh, all the nations. Okay, that's a major transition, right? Now we're leaving Judah. We're leaving, we're leaving Israel. Verse 14 for many nations and great kings shall serve themselves of them also, and I will recompense them according to their deeds and according to the works of their own hands. Right, Back to judgment being according to works, right? And just remember, does that idea carry out all the way through the New Testament? Yes. Every time judgment is mentioned, it's going to be according to works, according to works, and according to works, and according to works. And what is our only way of understanding that? God does judge according to our works. But if we are a Christian, whose works are accredited to our account? Christ's works. Therefore, we will according to works, but our works are going to stand and be perfect. Okay. That's the only way to understand that. Now, most, what's the other way most, what do most of your Christian friends, how will they interpret that the Bible when it says you're going to be judged according to your works? They say your works prove whether you're saved or not, which is the most ludicrous thing I've ever heard in my life. Because what your works would be judged according to God's law, and would your works ever prove that you're saved? No. So then they say, well, it's not perfection. Oh no, none of that works. The only thing that's going to work is I'm going to be judged according to works, and His works are credited to my account. That's nothing else works unless you are going to go with a Catholic system and. You you have to have a much more complicated way, all right? So, that's all the words to Judah, to the Jews. Now, starting in verse 15, we believe this begins the words to... Well, look, for thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Unto me, take the wine cup of this fury at my hand, and cause all the nations to whom I send thee to... Drink it. Now, let's stop right here. Just make sure we understand. I don't have time to get into a lengthy discussion. But anyone should, on their own, look up every verse that mentions the cup. In fact, I may have already given this as an assignment in the book of Jeremiah. But anytime we talk about the cup, the cup, the cup, that's very important. Because the cup always is a picture of God's wrath. It's a picture of God's wrath. It's a picture of God's wrath. That's true in the Old Testament. It's all the way true to the book of Revelation. Why is that important? Why is the image of the cup being, a, uh, being filled with God's wrath? Why is that an important thing to remember? What did Christ ask for in the garden? For the cut to be taken away. Nevertheless, not my will, but that will be done. And then Christ on the cross took a, drank all of God's wrath. Now, if he drank all of God's wrath for you, he did what? What? What's the theological term? Propitiation. He satisfied God's wrath completely. This is why it's utterly ridiculous—one to believe someone can lose their salvation because God's wrath has already been paid for—or secondly, to look at Bobby's actions and go, "Well, that doesn't prove that proves you're not saved." Well, wait a minute. How can that prove that it's not saved if Christ paid for all of my sins, satisfied God's wrath? For all of my sins, my actions can't prove that I'm saved because all of my actions, first, the sin have been paid for. God's anger for it has been satisfied and God's righteousness has been accredited to my account. So you can't look at me and say, I've got to prove that I'm saved. What proves that I'm saved is that God's wrath has been taken care of. My sins have been paid for and I am now declared righteous in his sight. So looking to someone's actions to prove salvation is not... Well, I can tell you this. It's not Christian, it's Roman Catholic. And anybody, and I, I'm tired of ch- Christians who go to churches who teach that, just have enough guts and just go back to the Roman Catholic Church. I would respect that. Say, so I respect that. Go back to the Roman Catholic Church because at least you're not pretending, but they won't go back to the Roman Catholic Church because if they went back to the Roman Catholic Church, they wouldn't get to do what? They couldn't tell the priest that your interpretation is wrong because the priest would care less. Right. They don't like that. Okay, because the priest would be like, well, you don't get to decide that. Okay, but. So that cup thing is very important. All right. Now, what's going to happen here? Okay, now this is where we got to put our thinking caps on. Right. This is the big question to end the night. All right. I'm going to have to go. I'm not going to be able to I'm not I'm going to just skip some of these nations. I just may mention one or two out of each verse just so that you get the basic idea. All right. Everybody ready? Verse 18, to wit, Jerusalem and the cities of Judah and the kings thereof. So he goes after Jerusalem and Judah, right? Got it? And to the princes thereof to make them a desolation and astonishment, a hissing and a curse as at this day. So that gets uh, Judah out of the way, right? Now what's next? Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and his servants, and his princes, and all his people. Verse 20, all the mingled people, and all the kings of the land of Uz, and all the kings of the land of the Philistines, and Ashkelon, and Azazah, and Ekron, and the remnant of Ashdod. Right? Edom, Moab, and the children of Ammon, and all the kings of Tyrus, and all the kings of Zidon and the kings of the isles, which are beyond the sea. Didan and Tima and Buzz and all that are in the utmost corners and all the kings of Arabia and all the kings of the mingled people that dwell in the desert and all the kings of Zimri and all the kings of Elam and all the kings of the Medes and all the kings of the north far and near one with another and all the kingdoms of the world which are upon the face of the earth and the king of Shishak and shall drink after them. Now, When you start reading this, does anyone stop to go, what in the world is going on here? It sounds like he's going to judge them all. Now, do we have any, do you have any idea when this may happen, where this may happen, how this may happen? Any, anything. Now, most commentaries, guess what? They just kind of skip this part completely. Why? Well, I, 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 I'm, I'm just right now. I'm just asking. Like this one, just nothing, nothing. They skip it all. This one, not a word, not a word. Just absolutely skips it. Like it doesn't even exist. My study Bible that starts in verse fourteen, right? Uh, let's see here. Yeah, 15, okay, it uh, says, uh, well, then it starts mentioning here. It says, uh, the prophet did not physically take the cup uh, to all the nations, but all nations would experience that cup and the tragedies of the future. The Lord's wrath would begin with Jerusalem and Judah. The land of Uz is mentioned in Job 1.1. It was probably east of Edom. The remnant of Ashdod is singled out. Uh, it says, uh, then it talks about when some of these places are... They they have they date some places where some bad things happened to them. But well, when do you think this occurred? Some of these try to place it somewhat in history. This commentary, let's see if I have another one here. Most just don't even bother with it. They're just like, whatever, we don't know. Um, let's see here. Um, okay. Okay, here we go. Judah, however, wouldn't be the only nations to suffer at the hands of the Babylonians. Now, this is where, they, this is how they try to work it. All these nations round about would also be punished among them, the nations listed in 25, 18 through 25 and 27, 3. And one way or another, these nations were confederate with Judah against Babylon. But God's command was that the nations submit to Nebuchadnezzar. In fact, God would make even the animals obey the king of Babylon. So they're saying what happened is all of these nations at some point had worked with the kings of Judah. Because remember, what were the kings of Judah not willing to do? Submit to the Babylonians. They would not submit. In fact, everyone who stayed to fight died. You were supposed to go out. All of these nations were to submit. I, 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 I don't. I don't know if you can understand the significance of that. Because in the modern Christian church in America, if you tell the church to submit, if you tell Christians to submit to an ungodly government. What do Christians immediately rise up and do? No, we will fight. Here is an example of God telling them to. Everyone should do what. Submit. And because they would not submit to a pagan nation, what happens to them? They're all going to be judged. And I, I know what, you're, there's got to be something in you, go, that makes no sense. But is that not what exactly we find in Romans chapter 13? Submit to the authority. If you do not submit to the authority, what does Romans 13 tell you is going to happen? If you don't know it, look at Romans 13. Well, God, you're you're actually doing something against God. Look at Romans 13. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty serious. You're going to receive judgment. I know. Now, people would be like, "No, that is not true." No, that that's all we heard during COVID. No, that is not true. No, that is not true. I'm just telling you, we have it played out right here in history, do we not? The end of the 70 years would mean not only freedom for the uh, Jewish remnant, but also judgment for the Babylonian Empire because of the ruthless way they treated both Jews and the Gentiles. It was one thing for Nebuchadnezzar to do God's work, but when his attitude became proud and hateful, he overstepped his bounds. Babylon fell to the armies of the Medes and the Persians in 539 B.C. Judgment for the Gentile nations, 15 through 38. Jeremiah was called of God to minister not only to Judah, but also to the other nations. God had sent him over the nations and given him authority to tell the word of God. Though the Lord had not given his law to the Gentile nations or entered into a covenant relationship with them, he still held them accountable for their sins. In this message, Jeremiah used eight vivid images to describe the judgment God was sending with the Gentiles. Right, The cup of wrath. All right. And then they go through uh, some of these other ways and these other things that he gives and they go into a, a great detail here. I don't have time to go through all of it because we're out of time. So I can't go through. But I would challenge anyone who wants to look at all of this. He gives, um, he gives these kind of symbols. In fact, he gives eight vivid images to describe the judgment God was sending to the Gentiles. I don't have time to go through all of them, but we see. The first one we definitely can see is the cup, right? The cup is mentioned in 15, right? Everybody see that? Okay, all right. Then, if you look at verse 28, And it shall be, if they refuse to take the cup of thine hand to drink, then shall thou say unto them, Thus say the Lord of hosts, you shall certainly drink judgments coming upon them verse 29 for lo I begin to bring evil on the city which called which is called by my name and should you be utterly unpunished you shall not be unpunished for I will call for a sword upon all the inhabitants of the earth saith the lord of hosts all right now we have the idea of a sword here we got a cup we got a sword right so far so good verse 30 therefore prophesy thou against all these were uh Against them all these words and saying to them, the Lord shall roar from high and utter his voice from his holy habitation. He shall mightily roar upon the ha- habitation. He shall give a shout and they tread the grapes against all the inhabitants of the earth. All right so we have the idea of a cup, we have the idea of a sword and we have the idea basically almost like a lion roaring, right? Okay, verse 31, A noise shall come even to the ends of the earth, for the Lord hath a controversy with the nations. He will plead with all flesh. He will give them all that are wicked to the sword, saith the Lord. Verse 32, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Behold, evil shall go forth from nation to nation, and a great whirlwind shall be raised upon all the coast of the earth. Now we have a whirlwind. All right. we got the cup, we got a sword, we got a lion. We got a whirlwind. There could be another one in there probably somewhere because you got the treading the grapes. So maybe you could, you got something, you could put one there, but all right. I got the whirlwind, verse 33. And the slain of the Lord shall be at the day from one end of the earth, even unto the other end of the earth. They shall not be lamented, neither gathered nor buried. They shall be dung upon the ground. Now, you know, immediately we have to start asking, when does this happen? Because this sounds like going beyond any judgment that's ever happened in history. Unless you're going to say it's hyperbolic. Then that becomes a problem because then which part is literal, which part is not. All right. Verse 34. How ye shepherds and cry and and wallow yourselves in the ashes. Your principle of the flock for the days of your slaughter and of your dispersions are accomplished. And you shall fall like a pleasant vessel. And the shepherd shall have no way to flee, nor the principle of the flock to escape. A voice of the cry of the shepherds and a howling of the principal of the flock shall be heard, for the Lord has spoiled their pasture. And the peaceable habitation are cut down because of the fierce anger of the Lord. He hath forsaken his um, covert yet as the lion, for the land is desolate because of the fierceness of the oppressor and because of his fierce anger. Now they said there's eight, I don't know where they get eight. We've, we, we saw a couple of images there. Maybe you could find a couple of more in there. But the main thing from the end of 25, really the big, what's the big kind of theological or hermeneutical issue in the end of 25? Like what? Yeah, that some of that judgment sounds like the whole world, right? So obviously some of these nations may, may directly be linked to working with Judah against Babylon, and Babylon would ultimately do something to them. All right. Some of that goes way beyond it. That goes to all the nations, and it sounds a lot like what? What does it sound a lot like? Book of Revelation, right? Does it sound like a book of Revelation? So, is this some kind of future? And if it goes future, why does it jump to the future? Like, it's just really, it's written really weird, is it not? So, I don't have more time to get into 25. I wish I did. I wish I did, but we'll have to leave it there. We'll have to leave it there. All right. We finished 25. Difficult, but we tried. We tried. All right. As quickly as I could. As quickly as I could. Right? I I I'll I would like to go through and find out where this commentary finds supposedly eight different images, but we found a couple. We found what four of them maybe. Okay, four. Maybe maybe I could find a fifth one there. I don't know. Some of those were kind of iffy, all right? But sometimes uh, commentaries do that because it gives a preacher something to preach, right? So, uh, but we will have to stop there. All right, let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this evening. A very difficult chapter with many things that challenge us. But Lord, I pray that when we read, we will see the challenges and acknowledge them instead of just overlooking them great difficulty here but Lord we we definitely see that you're bringing judgment and the only hope to escape this judgment has to be found only in your son because anything else would leave us without righteousness without forgiveness and would only lead to condemnation and judgment and we thank you and we ask all of this in the precious name of Jesus and God's people said